Hello, my name is Annika Sage, and today's scripture reading comes from Mark 1, verses 14 through 15. Later on, John was arrested. Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe in the good news. Hear the word of the Lord. Almost two centuries before Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany, John Wycliffe was born in Yorkshire, England. As a mere 15-year-old, John Wycliffe began his studies at Merton College in Oxford. It wouldn't take long for Wycliffe to grow disenchanted with the state of the church. As an Englishman, Wycliffe was no fan of paying dues to the papacy, which had relocated to France in a political stunt. To Wycliffe, the church was misusing power to exploit people. He loathed the ongoing sale of indulgences as if anyone can purchase salvation. He rejected the rites of penance, pilgrimages, and confession because only Christ, not the church, can forgive sins. He would eventually label the Pope as the Antichrist because Jesus, not the Pope, is the head of the church. These positions would place Wycliffe firmly on the outs of polite society. He would draw scathing condemnations from the Pope. His colleagues at Oxford turned against him, and even the English crown from which Wycliffe would draw a paycheck for much of his life would eventually turn against him. And the question is why? Why would Wycliffe allow himself to be put in such a position? And the answer is the Bible. As an educated man, Wycliffe had access to the Bible where most of Wycliffe's time, most of the people at Wycliffe's time, didn't have access whatsoever. The Bible was only available in Latin. Many Bibles were chained to the walls of monasteries. It was against the law and actually punishable by death for anyone to own a Bible. And to Wycliffe, the church keeping the Bible away from the people was just another exercise in dominance over the people. Out of this conviction, Wycliffe embarked upon an earth-shattering task, translating the Bible into English so that the people could encounter God's Word for themselves. Though the Wycliffe Bible was not without its translation problems, and even though every copy had to be painstakingly copied by hand, now the people finally had direct access to God's Word. Wycliffe is called the morning star of the Reformation. He was a first light, a new dawn amidst the corruption of the Dark Ages. Here's what's really cool. I took this picture this morning. I walked out of my I walked out and I was like, the morning star! We're talking about this in the story. It's a sign! It's a sign! So I took a picture. So the morning star is actually not a star at all. The morning star is Venus. And Venus shines really brightly right before or at the dawn. And Wycliffe is called the morning star of the Reformation because he was a light amidst the darkness of the Dark Ages and all the corruption. He was a light that signaled the coming of the light of the Reformation. Even though the Reformation was over a century in the future, when reformers like Huss, Luther, Zwingli, and Calvin came on the scene, they would pick up right where Wycliffe left off. Grace 242 is a Presbyterian church, which means that we are part of the Reformed tradition of Christianity. And our Reformed heritage owes itself in part to Wycliffe. Today, we enjoy Bibles on our nightstands, Bibles on our end tables, audio Bibles, Bibles on our phones, Bibles on our computers. Today, we enjoy such ready access to the Bible in large part because of Wycliffe. 
So at the start of this year, it's our first year in our new worship home. And now that we have this regular way of worshiping, we're looking at our worship service and saying, why do we do what we do? When we come in here and have this worship service, why are we doing this? And why do we do each one of the elements that are part of our order of worship? And today we're asking, why preach a message? Every time we come in here, there's a message, there's a sermon. Why preach a message? Our services last around an hour, give or take. And usually about a half hour of that time is preaching a message. So a majority of the time is a sermon. In my week, if you divvy up the hours that I spend on things, far and away the most time is spent toward developing the message, studying, writing, practicing. Most of my time is around. The Reformed tradition of which we are a part places the sermon at the center of the worship service. The worship service is built around the sermon. Why is that the case? And interestingly, even in a culture where less and less people are going to church, preaching is still the number one reason why people choose a local church. They're looking for good preaching. Why? Why all of this emphasis on the sermon? Why all this emphasis on the message? And the short answer is the Bible. Because the Bible is our authority. Not the church not church traditions, not the papacy, not bishops, not the pope, not cardinals, not papal bulls. The Bible is our authority. And this is what John Wycliffe discovered as he, in his education, he knew Latin so he could read the Bible. He's studying the Bible, he's teaching theology, and he's realizing as he's having access to the Bible himself that it's the Bible that is our authority. That's why we spend so much time on the message, because the Bible is our authority. Jesus even says in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross in John 17, 17, he says, make them holy by your truth, teach them your word, which is truth. The Bible is truth. That's why the Bible is our authority. In 1967, the Heritage Singers came out with a song. Let's listen into this song. That get you going? Get you revved up? Yeah, yeah. God said it. I believe it. That settles it for me. Now, on the one hand, I understand what they're doing here, right? They're making a statement about the Bible. If God says it in the Bible, this is our authority. So if he says it, I need to believe it. So I get it. But on the other hand, I don't like this sentiment because it kind of reminds me of the domineering parent who, when questioned about something, says, because I said so, that's why. Kind of like shuts down discourse, you know. Don't ask any questions. You're just supposed to blindly believe this. Anyone grow up like that? I did not, thankfully. Now, there is a time when parents have to say, hey, I said it, you got to do it. But I think in the long term, it's okay to know why. Why? So two things can be true at once. When God says it in here, 
We need to believe it. That's true. But at the same time, why is that the case? Well, I think we can know why. I think we can ask why. Lord, why is this the authority? And I think it's okay to ask why. One of the reasons why the Bible is our authority is because without the Bible, we wouldn't know who God is. He chooses to reveal himself to us through his word. Without it, we wouldn't know who he is. Look at Romans 10, verse 11, and then 13 through 15. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him, meaning Jesus, or the Lord, will never be disgraced. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him unless, or how can they call on him to save unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And now he comes back to the scripture where he started. That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. Romans is saying, how can we know the Lord if we don't have his word? That's what Romans is saying. The scriptures tell us who God is. Interestingly, as Wycliffe dedicated himself to getting the Word of God out, these followers developed around him called Lollards. It's kind of a pejorative term, but these Lollards joined Wycliffe in spreading the Word. They're like, people have to know who God is. We've got to get the Word out. We have to spread God's Word so people know. It's interesting because we often look at the people in the church under the corruption of the Dark Ages before the Reformation, and we're like, why did people stand for that? You know, one of the big things is these indulgences where the church would sell a piece of paper for real money, lots of money. And if you bought that piece of paper, supposedly you were saved, or you could buy that piece of paper for a relative who had died before you, or a relative who would die. And supposedly if you bought this piece of paper, then you or whoever you bought the piece of paper for could go to heaven. And we look at that and we say, why did they stand for that? Why did they do that? Why were they complicit in being oppressed by the church? And the reality is, is they did all those things because they didn't know who God is. They didn't know the true Lord. Why? Because they didn't have access to his word, because they couldn't know him, because this was suppressed from them. Look back at Romans 10 verse 11. As the scriptures tell us, as the Bible tells us, anyone who trusts in the Lord will never be disgraced. Why do they trust in this piece of paper for salvation? Read Romans 10 verse 11 which says, don't trust in a piece of paper for salvation, trust in the Lord for salvation. They couldn't read that. We find out who God is in his word. Why is the Bible our authority? Well, number one, because without it, we wouldn't know who God is. And number two, we wouldn't know what God wants from us. Without the Bible, we would not know what the Lord requires of his people. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. The Scriptures are sufficient and they teach the people of God to do His good works. They tell us what God requires of us. They tell us what God wants of us. You had all these people at Wycliffe's time under the oppression of the church who were doing the church's will but not God's will. They were doing the Pope's will, but not God's will. One of the big names of indulgences was John Tetzel, 
who was commissioned by the Pope to go around and sell all these indulgences to people. The people were doing Tetzel's will, not God's will. The people were doing bishop's will, cardinal's will, friar's will, not God's will. Well, why? Why were they doing the will of all these other entities instead of the will of God? Because they didn't know God's will. Why didn't they know God's will? Because they didn't have the Bible. Why didn't they have the Bible? Because the church actively suppressed it. Why did the church actively suppress it? Because the Bible is powerful. And the church knew this. There's so much power in here that they knew if the people were to have this, we couldn't oppress them anymore. Look at Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Here's what's really amazing about the Bible. Is first of all, the Bible tells us God's will. Tells us what God wants from us. But then Hebrews 4.12 shows us that at the same time, the Bible not only reveals God's will, but it reveals our will as well. It probes us. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts us to the core, and it surfaces and exposes those innermost desires within us. So out on the table, when you come to God's Word, it gets two things out on the table. It gets God's will out on the table, and it gets your will out on the table, and then it asks you, it confronts you and says, whose will are you going to do? And that brings us back to our question today. So why do we spend all this time every week preaching a message. Jesus gives us two directives in our scripture reading today. He's preaching in Galilee, and he says this. He's spreading the word, like those followers of Wycliffe. He's spreading God's word. The kingdom of God is near, he says. First directive, repent of your sins. Second directive, and believe the good news. Repent and believe. Why do we preach a message? Because Jesus tells us to repent and to believe. First of all, he tells us to repent. Now, there's a difference between confession and repentance. They're closely related. There's a subtle difference. In confession, we name and acknowledge and own our sin. When we confess, we're naming it, we're acknowledging it, and then we're owning it. Getting it out on the table and say, yep, I did that. That's my contribution that the Lord is displeased with. I'm confessing. In repentance, we respond to that confession by turning away from it. It's an action. It's a direction change. So in confession, we're naming it, we're owning it, but then in order to repent, we turn away from it. I was going this way, now I'm going to turn away from that because God doesn't want that. Now, if you're like me, you're still smarting from last night's fourth quarter meltdown. right? Now, it was a great... Um, season really was. They accomplished way more. The Packers accomplished way more than we ever could have imagined. Still hurts, though, last night to see them, you know, handle the 49ers for three quarters and then fritter it all away at the very end. But when things were really bad earlier this season, the narrative on the Packers' season was they're beating teams they should lose to and they're losing to teams they should beat. Like, what's going on here? And after the games, you know, Coach Lafleur and his impeccable haircut would get up there in the press conferences. And to his credit, he would own it. He would name it. He would say, okay, yep, well, that's, that's on me. I'm the head coach. This is my responsibility. So he owned it. He named it. So you might say he confessed after every one of those because he put it out on the table. He owned it. He named it. So he confessed. However, even despite his confessions, 
people still questioned, I think this team is headed in the wrong direction. And people especially questioned that when he stuck with his defensive coordinator, Joe Barry. And I really hope this offseason he does not stick with his defensive coordinator, Joe Barry. But people wondered. The direction of the team seems not good. So he confessed, he named it, but the direction seems wrong. Well, after falling to 6-8 and eight to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home, people really wondered about the direction. But then they went to Carolina, and it was an unsatisfying win. But then the next week, they went into Minnesota's. They silenced the loathsome horn. They silenced a bizarre shirtless Kirk Cousins. And people were like, hmm, they might be turning a corner here. And then last week, they had one of the most satisfying wins in my entire lifetime. <laughs> Going into Jerry World. And to the dismay of sports analysts everywhere, the first being Jimmy Johnson himself, put the stop on the Cowboys. And at that point, it was like, I think this team is headed in the right direction. I think this team repented. They turned away from the, those erroneous ways, and now they're headed in the right direction. And despite the fourth quarter meltdown last week, I think we can say in this offseason, I think they're headed in the right direction. It'd be really good if they dismissed Joe Barry, not to talk about special teams coordinator, I don't know, kicker, I don't know. But in general, right, they're headed in the right direction. They repented. So they confessed, he acknowledged it, Lafleur acknowledged it, but at the end of the day, it's like, wow, they turned a corner. They're headed in the right direction. When we confess, we name it, we acknowledge it, we get it out on the table. When we repent, we turn away from it. We change direction. Jesus says, repent. Romans 12, 2 is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. And it begins by saying, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't buy into that sinful culture you're a part of. Don't buy into those worldly things that displease the Lord. Turn away from all that. Turn away from sin. Repent. And Wycliffe, as he's reading the Bible, studying the Bible for himself, he's realizing God's will for himself, and he's realizing we as a church have got it wrong. We are not doing the Lord's will. And so Wycliffe rejects the rights of confession, the rites of penance. He's rejecting the, the human absolution of sins because like only God can forgive sins. Only Christ can forgive sins. So he's turning away from all those erroneous, sinful ways. Jesus tells us, repent and believe. Why preach a message? Because we have things we need to repent of. Every week when we come in here, we have things that we need to turn away from. But then the second directive he gives us is, repent and believe. When we believe, we turn to God. So when we repent, we turn away from sin. But when we believe, we turn toward God. I say, His ways are higher than my ways, as Isaiah says. Remember, Hebrews 4.12 shows us that the Bible cuts to our core and it exposes our innermost desires. So the Bible gets God's will on the table and it gets our will on the table and it confronts us with the question, whose will will you do? And we repent by our own will. And then we believe by turning toward God's will. We leave our will behind and we embrace God's will. If you look at synonyms, if you do a Bible word study on the word believe, you'll get synonyms like, like to rely on, to trust in, to have faith in. 
And so when we turn toward God, we are relying on Him. We're trusting in Him. We're having faith in Him. When we repent, we're turning away from ourselves. We're saying, I'm not going to rely on me anymore. I'm not going to have faith in me anymore. I'm not going to trust in me anymore. I'm going to trust in the Lord. His ways are better. His will is perfect. Look at Romans 12, 2 again. Begins, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Repent. Turn away. But look how it continues. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Romans 12.2 is this whole repent and believe just in different language. Turn away from the world, turn toward God, let Him transform you, and then you can discern His will. Then you can trust in His will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Why preach a message every week? Why spend all this time? Because we need to exchange our will for God's will. We need to repent of our ways, repent of relying on ourselves, repent of our sins, repent of our wicked ways. We need to turn away from those and we need to turn toward God and believe that He is good, His will is pleasing, His will is perfect. I don't want to rely on myself anymore. I want to rely on God. I don't want to have faith in myself anymore. I want to have faith in God. I don't want to trust in myself anymore. I want to trust in God. Lord, help me do this. We need to renew our minds as Romans 12, 12, 2 says and be transformed. Why preach a message every week? We repent and we turn away from our sins and we believe and we turn toward God. Trusting that His will is not harmful or capricious. His will is good for us. We turn toward God trusting that His will is pleasing. It's satisfying. Doing your own will is not satisfying. Doing God's will is satisfying and fulfilling. And we trust that His will is perfect. It's not just a better choice. We don't come in here to make better choices, you all. We come in here because He is perfect. It's exactly what we're made for. We come in here to realize and be fulfilled. Realize our purpose. Realize why we're here, which is to worship and be a servant of God. His will is perfect. I want perfection. I didn't plan this. I'm just kind of on a little bit of a... A little bit of a kick here. This perfect. His will is good, pleasing, and perfect. It's perfect. You don't come in here to just be a better person, to make better choices. You come in here because He is perfect, and His will is perfect. And you'll find it everything you're looking for when you come to Him. How awesome is that? I didn't plan on that. That's a whole other sermon. I can't get off task there. I should end this thing. Why do we preach a message every week? To turn away from our own will and to turn toward the Lord's will. We repent and we believe. Last thing I'll say. 30 years after Wycliffe died, a church council condemned him as a heretic. And just to drive home the point and to remove the cancer that was John Wycliffe on the world, they exhumed his bones. They dug him up and they burned him in a fire. That's what this picture depicts. He got the fire burning his bones over here. Not only did they burn his bones in the fire after exhuming his bones, they spread the ashes in the river to get rid of him once and for all. But joke's on them. Because a man who wanted God's word spread everywhere was spread everywhere. (laughs) What a fitting image, huh? But many years before, there was another man condemned as a heretic, 
because he equated himself with God. So they condemned him as a heretic. He died on a cross. He was crucified. But not 30 years later, only three days later, he came up from the grave. But no one dug him up. They didn't exhume his bones. No, the Holy Spirit raised him and opened that tomb. And it wasn't his bones that just came up out of there. It was his resurrected body. And then followers developed, just like Wycliffe had Lollard's followers developed. Disciples and apostles said, we have to tell the world about this man who came up from the grave. And God's word about salvation in Jesus Christ spread. We'll let Acts 13, 29 to 31 say the last things. When they had done all that the prophecies said about Jesus, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. Thank you, Lord.